0: Okay, I want to share with you tonight a message, Amazing Facts of Jesus' Birth. And uh, some of these things I've shared with you before, probably some new things that you'll learn. And um, I want you to notice the word amazing. You know, we sing sing, uh, uh, amazing grace. And, you know, when you really look at the word amazing, it's a word that should not be used for anything or anyone but God. The you know people say well that's an that's an that was an amazing move right that the basketball play that was an amazing play in the football that was you, but you have an amazing car what an amazing guy a girl it should be devoted to God it's amazing grace we have an amazing God he's given us his amazing word. He's the amazing Son. We will look at tonight His amazing birth, His amazing life, His amazing miracles, His amazing teaching, His amazing death, His amazing resurrection, His amazing ascension, His re- amazing return, His amazing Holy Spirit. It's a word that should be reserved for God. So we look at the, the, the story of His, his birth, and we'll look at some of the prophecies from the Old Testament. And for the most part, we have, uh, I guess, the, really the, the fullness of the story of his birth in the first two chapters of Matthew and in the first two, two chapters of Luke. And as you look at the story of his birth, again, it's, it's just an amazing story. Everything about it. The, the word amazing defined is causing great surprise, wonder, awe, astonishment, uh, being astounded. You know, just, it's to never be bored. Never to be bored. You get into the Word of God, you'll find that. I have never, ever been bored by the Word of God. I get up every morning with enthusiasm and excitement to, you know, to study the Word, to get into the Word, meditate on the Word. You know, you look at, I, I, I'll tell you this, people, and you look at what, yeah, and you see this, you see this with people in the church, you see this with people in the world, they're, you know they're running after things and you know and it could be it could be I mean alcohol it could be you know it could be drugs um, you know why do you know why do people you know they they flock towards those things because they're bored because they're bored they're looking for some kind of a thrill and um, and you know they'll, they'll 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 seek it in entertainment they'll seek it in sports you know they they need a they need a thrill and you know really you get into the Word of God and you get into Jesus, I mean, there is thrill there. There is wonder there. There is awe there. You get into a relationship with him, uh, you won't be craving those other things. So, um, again, I want to talk to you just about the amazing facts of Jesus' birth. So, we're going to go, stay seated, we're going to go to Genesis 3.15 to start, which is really the first passage in Scripture that talks about the birth of Jesus and the virgin birth. I don't know how many of you have ever looked at that and realized that. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God placed a curse on them. We are all still, right, living under, you know, part of that curse. When he is talking now to the devil, and in Genesis 3.15, you have this prophecy, and again, it is a prophecy of the virgin birth, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So, if you look at, again, a woman having a seed, there's a problem there right off the bat, because women don't have seeds. Men have seeds, right? Women have eggs. And what it's talking about is obviously now, it's looking towards the the future, and it's talking about, again, the virgin birth. That Mary, again, through the virgin birth, right, would bring forth uh, the Messiah. And um, God would take her DNA, and again, it's a, it's a miracle. We don't you know fully wrap our minds around it. But from that, you would have the, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, really, the, the holy embryo placed within Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, he would, again, form and become, you know, Messiah. So it says here, he... And that's referring to Messiah. It's referring to the Meshach, to Jesus. He shall bruise your head. The word, the word "bruise" it really is a poor translation. It should be "crush." You can bruise somebody's head, and you know they're they're fine. You crush somebody's skull, and they're dead. <laughs> and ultimately, you see that fulfilled in Genesis chapter twenty. The, den, uh, the devil is destined for destruction. And then, and he shall bruise your heel, okay? Or he he, he shall bruise, um, and you shall bruise his heel. And It's talking about again a, a non-fatal um, injury or attack, and we see that with Jesus, he died on the cross, but he was raised from the dead. So you have here a you know a, a, a picture really, and a force. It, it is a foreshadow of really the death and resurrection of Messiah and his virgin birth, because again, immediately right away, and you know in the scriptures in Genesis chapter three now. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go uh, to, uh, to Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 23-38, through 38, you have the genealogy here uh, of Jesus. All right, as we've, we've looked at, it is actually the genealogy that goes right to, uh, through Mary. Well, Heli was Mary's father. And um, we know that Joseph was the legal father of Jesus, but Mary was the biological mother of Jesus. But if you look, if you look here, I want you to look at at the first the first column here, which is uh, essentially goes, you know, God created Adam, but from Adam to Noah, right? You have these these names. So you have Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Malel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, uh, and then coming to Noah. To understand, whenever we see a name. I'm going to look at this a number of times tonight. There is, um, there's meaning behind the name. There's, it, it's a, a word you know that will describe the person's character. So when you, you look at at Abram, uh, Abram essentially. Uh, do, does anybody know what the name Abram means? Abram is exalted father. Yeah, exalted father. And then Abraham. That adds. It has a root to the Hebrew word, and it means exalted father of a multitude. So he was the exalted father, but he became the exalted father of the multitude. And that's that speaking not only of the Jewish people, okay, the, the, the Israelites. It speaks of us, that he's the father of the faithful, according to Romans chapter 4. The same thing goes with Jacob. Jacob, his name, before it was changed to Israel, what does it mean? Yeah, he'll catch her. Right, he grabbed onto Esau's heel. He's the he's the. It's translated deceiver. So you have you have the deceiver, and then his name is changed to Israel. And Israel essentially means one who has struggled with God and prevailed. We see that right in that in really through his whole life, but ultimately played out when he has that wrestling match with you know with the Lord. So from Adam to Noah now. I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going to dig into this in the Hebrew words. And you have this incredible hidden message in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. So here, when you look at the actual meaning of the names, you have Adam, which is the word for man. By the way, what you're seeing here, in, um, in uh, essentially that... Uh, the words that have been have been added here, uh, they were not in the original text. So what we have is we've Adam, man, Seth appointed, Enosh, mortal, Kenan, sorrow, Mahalolo, uh the blessed God. It's in, it, it's censoring. Hallel means blessed. Hallel, it's hallel, hallel, Yahweh, Hallel, Yeshua, bless the Lord, right? And uh, when you put um, the, the word ma, then we have, um, essentially, we get to the blessed God. And then you have Jared shall come down, Enoch teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring. It's interesting about Methuselah, his death shall bring, and in the, um, the historical context, it was essentially when Methuselah died was when the flood came. How about if, if people knew that, you know, they're waiting for Methuselah to die because, uh, right? Suddenly, the uh, they know the flood's coming. Lamech, despairing, and Noah, comfort and rest. So again, when when we add those words for the you know for the English, essentially for the English translation, man has appointed uh, mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing comfort. So man is cursed, right? The, the curse was placed upon man. man it's a, it's a, essentially a mortal curse and ultimately leading to death and to spiritual death as well. Total separation, you know, from God. If God doesn't intervene, every human being who was ever, you know, born is going to hell. And then the blessed God um, shall come down. That's speaking about the incarnation and the virgin birth. The word was made flesh, made his dwelling amongst us, teaching, right? Jesus' ministry, right? He, his, his teaching continuously throughout the Gospels him teaching... essentially actually teaching people the way to God, pe- teaching people the will of God, okay? Teaching people the word of God. You hear me? You know, use those W's. And then his death, again, his death, an atoning sacrifice. He hung on the cross between essentially heaven and hell. He hung on the cross between sinful men and a holy God... To reconcile, right, sinful man to his holy Father uh, shall bring the despairing, right, and the word comfort and rest. And what did Jesus? What did Jesus say? Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, heavy burden. What I will give you rest. And what is that rest from? It's it's rest from condemnation. It's rest from the the, the fear of hell. Uh, it, is, it is rest from, you know, the, the power of sin over our lives. So, again, this very simple hidden message, and there are many messages like that. The Holy Spirit, I believe, I'll say this, the Holy Spirit loves to do this. And, again, why does he do it? Why did Jesus speak in parables? And Jesus explained why he spoke in parables. He actually spoke in parables to hide spiritual truths from people who essentially were lazy, from, pe- from people who, were, you know, they, they weren't really willing to dig in to what he was saying, to, um, you know, study what he was saying, to hear what he was saying, and then to obey what he was saying, so he spoke in parables, and he, you know, he explains this in Matthew chapter 13, so the Holy Spirit, he, he basically, throughout the scriptures, there are numerous hidden messages. But really, in a sense, they're not hidden for those who will dig, for those who will come by faith, who those who will yield to the Spirit. He will teach them these things. And again, and this, this is a journey. It's not, a, you know, you come to the Lord, and suddenly you open the Bible, and you understand all these things. I've been doing it for 42 years, and I'm still discovering. There's some things I'll share with you tonight that were just revealed to me. And that's again, this is where it becomes an exciting, an exciting journey. Something to look forward to, you know, to just come to the Word and have the Lord just, you know, enlighten you and illuminate you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I think it, probably, I think one of my favorite passages in the Bible and um, I think one of the most wonderful prophecies uh, that you will find in the Scripture, it just says so much, but I'll, I'll read it to you and i to focus on one word. It says, for to us, a child is born. Now, this this is clearly a messianic passage as you look on, but that the Messiah would be born, right? He would be born uh, a child, and he would be a male child, a son. He is given. The government will be on his shoulders. That he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does that tell us about the Messiah? Yeah, the Messiah would be God. Jewish people, for the most part, don't believe Messiah is God. They believe the Messiah is a man. They believe the Messiah is a a political leader, a a military leader who is going to liberate Israel from the oppression of, you know, of the armies and the enemies of the world. This is clearly, I mean, these these titles, wonderful counsel, I mean, mighty God, he's Yahweh. Ah. of the greatness of its government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, uh, establishing and upholding it. What does that tell you? That he will reign upon the throne of David. He's son of David, right? He will be a descendant of David, and then uh, with justice and righteousness from that time on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I, I just want you to to focus because I, I spent I think I spent five weeks on this two years ago uh, on Wednesday nights teaching just on Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, going from uh, Thanksgiving right up till uh, till Christmas. You can find those. Again, two years ago, uh, 2021. If you look here, though, the word given is the word Nathan. My grandson is named Nathan. Rachel did this intentionally. Essentially, the word named Nathan means to be given. uh, Essentially, the concept of, of a gift. But notice that, again, Jesus was given. He's, he's a gift to mankind, to the generation in the day of Isaiah, probably about 720 B.C., but to every human being and to all generations. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. In, in John chapter 3.16, for God so loved the world, right, there it is again that he gave. Greek word didomi, to give, to deliver. You know when uh, you order a package from Amazon, what do they do? They come and they they put it on your doorstep and they deliver it. Well, God here delivered His Son right into our into our uh, our very presence. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him in Jim. By the way, that is not my mistake. That is me pulling. Uh, that is me pulling this from a program I have, and um, I don't think I hit the key. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. I'm actually very careful with stuff like that because you know. But um, anybody who believes in Him shall not perish, but have uh, eternal life. But you know, that is the gift. And let me let me say, what do you do when somebody gives you a gift? You have to, you have to receive it John John 1 it talks about you know Jesus being given and to all who receive him and believe in him but you receive you have to take the gift and then what else do you have to do you have to unwrap it we unwrap that gift we're, we're unwrapping that gift tonight we unwrap the gift every day I was sitting I was sitting with Rachel talking and she saying to me, All right, I have my birthday coming up and um, somebody came to me and asked me to sing happy birthday for their dog um, this past week and I said you know, he's, he's a good kid, he's a young kid and um, I said to him, you know, we don't sing happy birthday for everybody because then we'd be singing happy birthday every week and we really need to be celebrating the Lord and not celebrating ourselves so I'm not saying this about my birthday but Rachel said, aren't you excited and I said, you know, my wife gets bothered by this. And I said, it's another day. And um, and it's, it's not that I'm, you know, I'm not begrudging my birth and the life that God has given me and the, the, the love that I receive from people. But I just find I, I, I'm enjoying my life. And I am enjoying Jesus in my life. And, you know, it, like every day is a, it really is a day that I enjoy living. I enjoy embracing it. I enjoy the things that God has you know has placed in my life. Some of them are, are really exciting. Some of them is just the, the average stuff that you do every day, but I'm enjoying it. And uh, you know, I said it's you know I said this through the years. Christmas as you know, is a wonderful time. I think a lot of it has been, you know, hopefully if you had a if you had a good childhood there was a lot of good Christmas experiences that you have this time of the year. I love, you know, I love, you know, the Christmas carols and, you know, the Christmas songs and the Christmas movies and, you know, and some of them that are not, you know, they're not the most uh, holy movies and uh, not, you know, uh, Christmas Vacation, I have to say, is one of my favorites and um, Chevy Chase. But the Christmas experience is warm. You know, it's, it's comforting. It It brings joy. But, see, I believe you can have that every day. On December 26th, when I get up in the morning, I have another Christmas time with Jesus. And it could be July 11th, and it could be, you know, September 28th. But that's the, you know, I mean, He's living and He's in our lives. So that's something something special. We have been given the gift. We unwrap it every day. And every day when we unwrap it, there's wonder and there's experience that we could have. All right, let's talk, let's talk about the, the wise men for a few minutes, okay? So Matthew chapter 11, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Um, we have, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star... When it rose and have come to worship him, and when King Herod heard this, he was uh, disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And he goes then to Micah chapter verse five, uh, Micah chapter um, five verse two. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And they, as they heard uh, the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose So, again, the, the, the quote that the priests give, right, from Scripture, the prophecy, is Micah chapter 5-2. They are uh, a, they're called Magi, okay, from the east, which would have been uh, Persia, uh, which was conquered by the, uh, essentially by the Greeks, and then conquered by the Romans, but it's still a, a, a province ruled by Rome. Essentially, it's modern-day Iran, and um, they were astronomers. Uh, philosophers, uh, they're truth seekers, and essentially they're kingmakers. You really understand they—they they were appointed at times to appoint. Rome allowed there to be token kings like Herod, and they were used to select those kings to be uh, the rulers of certain uh, areas of uh, of Persia. They were—they were known as interpreters of dreams, truth seekers. Okay. Who in the Bible was a prophet who was a Magi? Daniel. Daniel, yeah. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel, and this is Nebuchadnezzar, and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And if you you look at the word wise men in the Aramaic, the root is essentially where it is chakam, wise, but essentially magian. He was the head of the magi. Now, you, you have to understand, I mean, David, you know, he, he, he wrote the book of Daniel. He had incredible, incredible revelations and incredible insight. So, the Magi knew about, you know, the prophecies. And especially if you look at, at Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, the prophecy that, that really described the time period when the Messiah would come, and essentially very, very accurate, I believe, to the very day it predicts, when the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem and be crucified, you know, at at, at the end of the week. But um, there was, again, influence, you know, there. Now, I'll also have you just focus on a lot of the Jewish people who were taken in captivity by the Babylonians to Babylon, and then again, conquered by the Persians, uh, conquered by the Greeks, and then conquered by the Romans. Many of those Jews who were taken, they didn't return back home with Ezra and Nehemiah. So they, you know, they stayed there, and these are the Levites, Benjamites, uh, still living in, uh, in in Babylon. And I, I, I believe, like you know, if you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also were added on to the Magi. I believe, from what I can see in in, in some of uh, history and looking at it, the Jews intermingled with. Uh, the Babylonians and the Persians, and uh, again, that was something that God had forbidden. Nevertheless, it happened. But also, their teachings, the revelations of Scripture, were shared. So, I think the the Magi had an understanding, a very good understanding, about Messiah, and essentially, they were looking for him. Now, I want to show you. I just want to show you something. Into it. this, this is a this is kind of a a, a limited. Uh, little theology of what the Magi believed in. And you look at it in the comparisons, not, not as deep of a revelation as what you have in the Tanakh in the Old Testament, but they were monotheistic, right? They believed in in one God, one, you know, benefactor, creator that um, the Creator is all good, the Creator is opposed by all that is evil, Uh, Hereditary priesthood, they had, uh, we had, you know, in the scriptures, the Jews and the Levites, they had the Persians and the uh, Persians had the Magi. One mediator between God and man, they were looking for that mediator. Uh, The atonement is made by blood sacrifice, they had blood sacrifices. Same essential concept of clean and unclean. There were things that were clean, things that were unclean. And depended on divination, okay, for wisdom, from the priesthood, the Levites had Urim and Thummim. Remember, we covered that when we were going through uh, the book of Leviticus. The Magi had what were called barsums which are small bundles of divining rods. And uh, I'm, again, I'm not at all approving of that. I'm just saying this is there. There are these similarities that you have between uh, the Magi and again the Levitical priesthood. What's interesting too is when you you know we look at the story, we look at the you know the nativity. We have the Magi coming when uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are still in the stable. So you watch movies and, you know, the, the movie The Nativity, the Magi come. But when I had just read to you from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it says they came to visit him in a house. Jesus, understand, Jesus was born in a cave. Right, the 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 stables and, and they, they have unearthed when we've gone to Jerusalem. We've been through those caves. Do you remember when I scared the guide? <laughs> remember that, Len? I snuck around. There are these passages in the caves where you could basically walk, and you're walking in really deep darkness. But I came around, and the guide, right? He's there with all the, of our you know of our um, people who are on the pilgrimage. And he's teaching them, and I come up behind him. I don't know what I said, but I said something that... And he almost almost jumped out of his pants. But they're caves. They weren't wooden stables. There were no wooden stables. Those caves that we have visited in Bethlehem, they unearth an inn from the first century above them. So we don't know exactly which cave it was, but we have likely been in the cave where, you know, where Jesus was born. So, again, that, that the, the, the portrait is that the Magi came immediately at the birth of Jesus, and they, you know, found Mary and Joseph and, and the baby in the, um, you know, in the manger and in the uh, cave. But what the scripture tells us, again, Matthew 2.11, oikia, they came to visit him in a house. So we know again, nowhere in scripture does it tell us he was born in a stable. What it tells us in Luke chapter two, they let Mary laid him in a manger, which then says, hey, they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get into the inn, they didn't have a house to go to. But it, what happened eventually, again, the census is being taken, and Mary has just given birth to a young boy. Joseph got them into a house where they could live. So it, it's likely and again, I don't know. If this, you know, I don't know, that looks like a, a little, uh, you know, a little boy who's maybe 18 months old. I don't know if it was one year, if it was six months, but Jesus was older when the Magi came, and it was not It was not in the cave where, you know, he had come to visit. Another another key thing is, uh, this is interesting, we always, you know, assume that there were three wise men. There's nothing that says there were three wise men. You ever see the, the Syriac church by the golf course in Haworth? The, Syri- the Syriac churches believe that there were actually twelve wise men. Yeah, they believe that there were twelve, and uh, they come with gifts, right? You have gold, it's the gift for a king; it speaks of Jesus' deity that He's God. Incense, the gift for a priest, right? He is our our high priest, and then myrrh was used uh, to embalm. And it's interesting; myrrh has to be crushed to release the beautiful aroma. The sweet aroma. Think of it. Jesus had to be crushed to release, right, his salvation, you know, into the world. It also is a, is a picture that that he is king, he is priest, and he is prophet. Tradition, okay, tells us that these were the names and where they were from. Belshazzar was the king of Arabia. Melchior was king of Persia. Gaspar, the king of India. You know, it's interesting that some people will say that they actually represented the three races right and if you think about going back the three sons of Noah right ham uh, Shem and japheth so uh, that's again these are these are tradition these are traditions we don't know that from from scripture beautiful tradition right he was worshiped by all mankind represented in those you know in those three men and then let me share this with the star the star of Bethlehem and there's a lot of, uh, again, there's been a lot of different interpretations about what this star is. One very common one is that the star was a comet. The problem, the problem with a comet, have you ever seen a comet? We were in Mexico and one morning and there was a comet just soaring over the sky. The problem with a comet, it doesn't stay in one place. And then eventually it basically moves right uh, beyond the horizon and you, know, and you don't see it. But that is um, a number. A number of astronomers have ha- tried to place different comets that would have been passing through that time. Uh, another one is uh, they say that it was Saturn, and it was um, the scientist Kepler who suggested because what he had said was Saturn was the brightest, uh, like in in hundreds of years, in the seventh century B.C., and they say that that's the star. The problem. The problem with that too is Jesus wasn't born in 7 BC. It's a little too early. He was born later. Like, likely at about 2 uh, BC, Jesus was born, which again would have, that, that prophecy in Daniel, his crucifixion, would have happened at about 30, 32 AD. Uh, another another uh, possible interpretation is that it's an angel. So, Star, if you read Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, the stars, right, that Jesus holds in his hands each represent the stars of the church, the angels of the church. I want, to give you, I want to give you something, and I want to share this with you. And this is, again, this is something, this is, again, me opening up the gift and some things that I've, you know, I've discovered. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Darkness. Right? Formlessness. There's a bohu tohu in the, uh, in the Hebrew. It's formlessness. It's empty. And then it says, Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where did that light come from? Where did it come from? Because he hadn't created, he hadn't created the stars, the sun and the, and the moon yet. that was created on the fourth day. So where did the light come from? Well, I, I, think, I think God is light and he dwells in impenetrable light. God is a consuming fire. I, I believe though the identification of the spirit here, do you know what the Shekinah glory is? The Shekinah glory is, is really, it's the glorious light of the Spirit. The glorious light of God. I mean, he's, you know, he's the third person of the Godhead. You see the Shekinah glory whenever God is doing something fantastic in the Scriptures. So, at the burning bush, and I'm, I'm not going to give you all of them here. The bush is burning, but it's not burning. This is God's you know, revelation to Moses that he is going to lead Israel. He's going to, he's going to be the deliverer, the lawgiver. And it's here at the burning bush. And Moses is looking at the bush and he sees that the bush is on fire, but it's not burning. I believe that was the Shekinah glory of God. I think the Shekinah glory of God is when you look at Mount Sinai, right? And the entire mountain is on fire. You look at the, the pillar of fire by night, that was over the tabernacle, I believe, is the Shekinah glory. And just keep, you know, keep this in mind. If this was literal fire, <laughs> you have a pillar of fire coming down, it would have totally disintegrated. I don't think it would have just disintegrated the tabernacle, but it would have disintegrated the tribes that were around that area. I mean, you're talking about a massive. But it's the, it's the Shekinah glory of, of, of God. And then look at Pentecost. Right, Tongues of fire come down upon the 120's heads. Now again, if it was literal fire, (laughs) I think their hair would have burned, right? I think this is again, this is the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory is the glorious presence of the Spirit of God breaking through into our four-dimensional universe. So revelation I'll give you I'll give you one more revelation chapter 21 22 through 24 the uh, the New Jerusalem right will not have lights there won't be a need of a sun there won't be a need of stars so he, he, it says here but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city had no need for the Sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. That's the Shekinah glory of God. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. So, okay, look, I, I, I don't know this absolutely for sure, but, you know, I've looked at the, the comet theory, I've looked at the Saturn theory, um, I have I often said I'd towards the angelic theory, but I believe this could very well, I mean, what was more significant than the birth of the Lord and the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit, right, breaking through, right, into our four dimensional universe, guiding, right, people to that, that place where he was born. So that's something, again, that's, again, me opening up the, uh, the gift and just searching through things. I want, show, I want to show one more thing with you, and then I'll wrap up. The predictions, okay, of his birth, right? I mean, you look at his birth is predicted, his life is predicted, his ministry, his miracles, his resurrection, uh, his death, his second coming, his eternal reign are all predicted, in the scriptures. As far as his his first advent, his first coming, you have about 400, uh, really 320 prophecies, about 80 typologies that Jesus fulfilled. Just to stop and think about this, you look at the religious leaders in our world, so you can look at Buddha, uh, Confucius, Muhammad, Zoroaster, none of their birth, life, death. None of them were predicted. None of them. There, there are no prophecies or predictions about those people. And that fact alone distinguishes Jesus from all other religious leaders. Now again, if, if people would have the, uh, the heart to pursue truth, they would come to understand that, and you may have to read a, a lot of books to be able to understand that. So, you have the predictions, very clear revelations, okay, that are given by the Holy Spirit in the Tanakh about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, right? Second coming, ascension of Jesus. But I want to show you, and I've shared, I've shared some of these with you, and I'm only going to share a few of them because I have, I have a number of them, but. Do you know that there were revelations that went out to the pagan world? Not as specific as what we have in Scripture, but I want to I show you these. Tacitus, and these are all predictions that occurred before Jesus' birth. Tacitus, speaking for the ancient Romans, says, people were generally persuaded in their faith of the ancient prophecies that the East was to prevail and that from Judea was to come the master and ruler of the world. It's interesting, right? Suetonius, uh, in his account of the life of Vesp- uh, Vespasian, recounts the Roman tradition thus: It was an old and constant belief throughout the East that, by indubitably, uh, indubitably, certain prophecies, the Jews were to attain the highest power; that it was to come from Israel. This is a uh, this is one from China. The Annals of the Celestial Empire contain this statement: In the twenty-fourth year of uh, Chao Wang. I'm sure you have all familiar with Chao and right? you probably have read all of his, um, his essays. <laughs> in the 24th year of Chao Wang, by the way, that's, that's um, 1029 BC, thousand years before Jesus. Uh, on the eighth day of the fourth moon, a light appeared in the southwest which illumined uh, the king's palace. And the monarch, struck by its splendor, interrogated the sages. They showed him books in which this prodigy signified the appearance of the great saint of the West, whose religion was to be introduced into their country. You know how many people are are believed to be believers in China today? Some people say it could be as many as 200 million. 100 to 200 million believers in China. They're persecuted hundred to two more. There's more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Far more. And in, in, in Europe as well. So prophecy, right, fulfilled. Here's another one. The Greeks expected him. This is an amazing prophecy. It blows my mind. The Greeks expected him for, uh, for um, this is Ascelaus uh, in uh, Prometheus, six centuries before his coming, wrote, look not for any end, more ever to this curse until God appears to accept upon his head the pangs of thy own sins vicarious. You know we call, what we call the cross in theology? It is the vicarious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, substitutionary sacrifice. He took our place. That, that is, to me, that is amazing, right? That, you know, the pagans were receiving these revelations. Cicero, uh, after recounting the saying of the ancient oracles of the sibyls. Uh, about uh, a king whom we must recognize to be saved, asked in expectation to what man and to what period of time do these predictions uh, point. And in the fourth um, eclogue, Virgil recounted the same ancient tradition and spoke of a chaste woman smiling on her infant boy on whom the Iron Age would pass away. Isn't that amazing? And these these are pagan, again, revelations. Now, you go to the Old Testament and to the Tanakh. Isaiah, right, the prediction of the virgin birth, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah 5.2, a prediction of where he would be born, in Bethlehem of Ratha, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel. Notice this is something that um, was left out uh, by the priests when they were giving it to Herod. Those going forth are from, uh, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. What is that saying? He is the everlasting one. It had to be God. It's again pointing to his deity. And again, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse uh, 6 and 7, I won't read it to you. But again, the prophecy speaking that he would be born, right? That he would be a son. That he would be God. And that would, he would be a descendant of David. So there's just some, you know, I call them uh, amazing facts of Jesus' birth. I just encourage you know you to dig, search. Uh, we have more tools at our disposal right now. And how many? Just you know, I'll, I'll convict you a little bit. How many hours do you spend watching television? I just wasted hours, and, and it's just filled with I mean, stupid. And you you have access. I mean, there is some, you know, there, there are some really good things. That you can find on YouTube, some really good teachings. You can pick up Chuck Missler, and you can get just about every message that Chuck. And Chuck is great at you know at this stuff. And um, and then you know you got Bible Hub, Blue Letter Bible. I mean you know you you have at your access. I mean, you go up in my library, and you know I've got I don't know, five thousand books up there. You have at your fingertips on your computers what I have. And uh, you obviously can access it much quicker. So dig and get into the adventure and uh, experience the amazing, right? The amazing revelations of God, because they will lift up your soul and their food, their food that nourishes you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, for, Lord, who you are, because you are truly amazing. And everything about you, Lord, your birth. Your life, your miracles, your teachings, your death, your resurrection, your ascension, your second coming, your eternal reign, Lord. It's all amazing, Lord. Your word is amazing. You are amazing. We give you all thanks and praise, Lord God, that you've given us the privilege to be able to dig and to discover these amazing things about you. Lord God, we don't take it for granted. We count it as a privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.